Chapter Ten of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Ten, The Mysterious Boudoir. Accustomed to study human nature, Doctor X had acquired peculiar sagacity in judging of character. Notwithstanding the address with which Lady Delacour concealed the real motives for her apparently thoughtless conduct, he quickly discovered that the hatred of Mrs. Lettridge was her ruling passion. Above nine years of continual warfare had exasperated the tempers of both parties, and no opportunities of manifesting their mutual antipathy were ever neglected. Extravagantly as Lady Delacour loved admiration, the highest possible degree of positive praise was insipid to her taste if it did not imply some superiority over the woman whom she considered as a perpetual rival. Now it had been said by the coachmaker that Mrs. Lettridge would sport a most elegant new vis-a-vis on the king's birthday. Lady Delacour was immediately ambitious to outshine her in equipage, and it was this paltry ambition which made her condescend to all the meanness of the transaction by which she obtained Miss Portman's draft and Clarence Hervey's two hundred guineas. The great, the important day, at length arrived. Her ladyship's triumph in the morning at the drawing-room was complete. Mrs. Lettridge's dress, Mrs. Lettridge's vis-à-vis, Mrs. Lettridge's horses were nothing, absolutely nothing, in comparison with Lady Delacour's. Her ladyship enjoyed the full exultation of vanity, and at night she went in high spirits to the ball. "'Oh, my dearest Belinda,' said she, as she left her dressing-room, "'how terrible a thing it is that you cannot go with me. None of the joys of this life are without alloy. T'would be too much to see in one night Mrs. Lettridge's mortification and my Belinda's triumph.' Adieu, my love. We shall live to see another birthday. It is to be hoped. Marriott, my drops. Oh, I have taken them. Belinda, after her ladyship's departure, retired to the library. Her time passed so agreeably during Lady Delacour's absence that she was surprised when she heard the clock strike twelve. Is it possible, thought she, that I have spent two hours by myself in a library without being tired of my existence? How different are my feelings now from what they would have been in the same circumstances six months ago! I should then have thought the loss of a birthnight ball a mighty trial of temper. It is singular that my having spent a winter with one of the most dissipated women in England should have sobered my mind so completely." If I had never seen the utmost extent of the pleasures of the world, as they are called, my imagination might have misled me to the end of my life. But now I can judge from my own experience, and I am convinced that the life of a fine lady would never make me happy. Dr. X told me the other day that he thinks me formed for something better, and he is incapable of flattery. The idea of Clarence Hervey was so intimately connected with that of his friend, that Miss Portman could seldom separate them in her imagination, and she was just beginning to reflect upon the manner in which Clarence looked, whilst he declared to Sir Philip Baddeley that he would never give up Dr. X, when she was startled by the entrance of Marriott. "'Oh, Miss Portman, what shall we do? What shall we do? My lady, my poor lady!' cried she. 
"'What is the matter?' said Belinda. "'The horses, the young horses! "'Oh, I wish my lady had never seen them! "'Oh, my lady, my poor lady, what will become of her?' It was some minutes before Belinda could obtain from Marriott any intelligible account of what had happened. "'All I know, ma'am, is what James has just told me,' said Marriott. My lady gave the coachman orders upon no account to let Mrs. Luttridge's carriage get before hers. Mrs. Luttridge's coachman would not give up the point either. My lady's horses were young and ill-broke, they tell me, and there was no managing of them no ways. The carriages got somehow across one another, and my lady was overturned and all smashed to atoms. Oh, ma'am, continued Marriott, if it had not been for Mr. Hervey, they say, my lady would never have got out of the crowd alive. He's bringing her home in his own carriage, God bless him. But is Lady Delacour hurt? cried Belinda. She must, to be sure she must, ma'am, cried Marriott, putting her hand upon her bosom. But let her be ever so much hurt. My lady will keep it to herself. The footmen swear she did not give a scream, not a single scream. So it's their opinion she was no ways hurt. But that, I know, can't be. And indeed, they are thinking so much about the carriage that they can't give one rational account of anything. And as for myself, I'm sure I'm in such a flutter. Lord knows I advised my lady not to go with the young horses no later than— Hark! cried Belinda. Here they are. She ran downstairs instantly. The first object that she saw was Lady Delacour in convulsions. The street door was open, the hall was crowded with servants. Belinda made her way through them, and in a calm voice requested that Lady Delacour might immediately be brought to her own dressing-room, and that she should there be left to Marriott's care and hers. Mr. Hervey assisted in carrying Lady Delacour. She came to her senses as they were taking her upstairs. "'Set me down, set me down,' she exclaimed. "'I am not hurt. I am quite well.' "'Where's Marriott? Where's Miss Portman?' "'Here we are. You shall be carried quite safely. "'Trust to me,' said Belinda, in a firm tone, "'and do not struggle.' Lady Delacour submitted. She was in agonizing pain, but her fortitude was so great that she never uttered a groan. It was the constraint which she had put upon herself by endeavouring not to scream which threw her into convulsions. "'She is hurt. I am sure she is hurt, though she will not acknowledge it,' cried Clarence Hervey. "'My ankle is sprained, that's all,' said Lady Delacour. "'Lay me on this sofa, and leave me to Belinda.' "'What's all this?' cried Lord Delacour, staggering into the room. He was much intoxicated, and in this condition had just come home, as they were carrying Lady Delacour upstairs. He could not be made to understand the truth.' but as soon as he heard Clarence Hervey's voice, he insisted upon going up to his wife's dressing-room. It was a very unusual thing, but neither Champfort nor any one else could restrain him the moment that he had formed this idea. He forced his way into the room. "'What's all this? Colonel Lawless?' said he, addressing himself to Clarence Hervey, whom, in the confusion of his mind, he mistook for the colonel the first object of his jealousy." "'Colonel Lawless,' cried his lordship, "'you are a villain. I always knew it.' "'Softly, she is in great pain, my lord,' said Belinda, catching Lord Delacour's arm just as he was going to strike Clarence Hervey. 
she led him to the sofa where Lady Delacour lay, and uncovering her ankle, which was much swelled, showed it to him. His lordship, who was a humane man, was somewhat moved by this appeal to his remaining senses, and he began roaring as loud as he possibly could for arquebusade. Lady Delacour rested her head upon the back of the sofa. Her hands moved with convulsive twitches. She was perfectly silent. Marriott was in a great bustle, running backwards and forwards for she knew not what, and continually repeating, "'I wish nobody would come in here but Miss Portman and me. My lady says nobody must come in. Lord bless me, my lord here, too!' "'Have you any arquebusade, Marriott? Arquebusade for your lady directly!' cried his lordship, following her to the door of the boudoir, where she was going for some drops." "'Oh, my lord, you can't come in, I assure you, my lord. "'There's nothing here, my lord, nothing of the sort,' said Marriott, setting her back against the door. Her terror and embarrassment instantly recalled all the jealous suspicions of Lord Delacour. "'Woman,' cried he, "'I will see whom you have in this room. "'You have someone concealed there, and I will go in.' Then, with brutal oaths, he dragged Marriott from the door, and snatched the key from her struggling hand." Lady Delacour started up and gave a scream of agony. "'My lord! Lord Delacour!' cried Belinda, springing forward. "'Hear me!' Lord Delacour stopped short. "'Tell me, then,' cried Lord Delacour. "'Is not a lover of Lady Delacour's concealed there?' "'No, no, no!' answered Belinda. "'Then a lover of Miss Portman,' said Lord Delacour. "'Gad! We have hid it now, I believe.' "'Believe whatever you please, my lord,' said Belinda hastily, "'but give me the key.' Clarence Hervey drew the key from Lord Delacour's hand, gave it to Miss Portman without looking at her, and immediately withdrew. Lord Delacour followed him with a sort of drunken laugh, and no one remained in the room but Marriott, Belinda, and Lady Delacour. Marriott was so much fluttered, as she said, that she could do nothing.' Miss Portman locked the room door and began to undress Lady Delacour, who lay motionless. "'Are we by ourselves?' said Lady Delacour, opening her eyes. "'Yes. Are you much hurt?' said Belinda. "'Oh, you are a charming girl,' said Lady Delacour. "'Who would have thought you had so much presence of mind and courage? Have you the key safe?' "'Here it is,' said Belinda, producing it, and she repeated her question. "'Are you much hurt?' "'I am not in pain now,' said Lady Delacour, "'but I have suffered terribly. "'If I could get rid of all this finery, "'if you could put me to bed, I could sleep, perhaps.' "'Whilst Belinda was undressing Lady Delacour, "'she shrieked several times, "'but between every interval of pain she repeated, "'I shall be better to-morrow.' "'As soon as she was in bed, "'she desired Marriott to give her double "'her usual quantity of laudanum.' for that all the inclination which she had felt to sleep was gone, and that she could not endure the shooting pains that she felt in her breast. "'Leave me alone with your lady, Marriott,' said Miss Portman, taking the bottle of laudanum from her trembling hand, "'and go to bed, for I am sure you are not able to sit up any longer.' As she spoke, she took Marriott into the adjoining dressing-room. "'Oh, dear Miss Portman,' said Marriott, who was sincerely attached to her lady, and who at this instant forgot all her jealousies and all her love of power. "'I'll do anything you ask me, but pray let me stay in the room, though I know I'm quite helpless. 
It will be too much for you to be here all night by yourself. The convulsions may take my lady, what shrieks she gives every now and then. And nobody knows what's the matter but ourselves, and everybody in the house is asking me why a surgeon is not sent for if my lady is so much hurt. Oh, I can't answer for it to my conscience to have kept the matter secret so long. For to be sure, a physician, if had in time, might have saved my lady. But now nothing can save her. And here Marriott burst into tears. Why don't you give me the laudanum? cried Lady Delacour in a loud, peremptory voice. Give it to me instantly. No, said Miss Portman firmly. Hear me, Lady Delacour. You must allow me to judge for you know that you are not in a condition to judge for yourself. Or rather you must allow me to send for a physician who may judge for both of us. A physician, cried Lady Delacour, never, never. I charge you, let no physician be sent for. Remember your promise, you cannot betray me, you will not betray me. No, said Belinda, of that I have given sufficient proof. But you will betray yourself. It is already known by your servants that you have been hurt by the overturn of your carriage. If you do not let either a surgeon or physician see you, it will excite surprise and suspicion. It is not in your power when violent pain seizes you to refrain from— It is, interrupted Lady Delacour. Not another scream shall you hear. Only do not, do not, my dear Belinda, send for a physician. You will throw yourself again into convulsions, said Belinda. Marriott, you see, has lost all command of herself. I shall not have strength to manage you. Perhaps I may lose my presence of mind. I cannot answer for myself. Your husband may desire to see you. No danger of that, said Lady Delacour. Tell him my ankle is sprained. Tell him I am bruised all over. Tell him anything you will. He will not trouble himself any more about me. He will forget all that past to-night by the time he is sober— Oh, give me the laudanum, dearest Belinda, and say no more about physicians. It was in vain to reason with Lady Delacour. Belinda attempted to persuade her. For my sake, dear Lady Delacour, said she, let me send for Dr. X. He is a man of honour. Your secret will be perfectly safe with him. He will tell it to Clarence Hervey, said Lady Delacour. Of all men living, I would not send for Dr. X. I will not see him if he comes. Then, said Belinda, calmly, but with a fixed determination of countenance, I must leave you to-morrow morning. I must return to Bath. Leave me? Remember your promise. Circumstances have occurred about which I have made no promise, said Belinda. I must leave you unless you will now give me your permission to send for Dr. X. Lady Delacour hesitated. You see, continued Belinda, that I am in earnest. When I am gone, you will have no friend left. When I am gone, your secret will inevitably be discovered, for without me, Marriott will not have sufficient strength of mind to keep it. Do you think we might trust Dr. X? said Lady Delacour. I am sure you may trust him, said Belinda with energy. I will pledge my life upon his honour. "'Then send for him, since it must be so,' said Lady Delacour. No sooner had the words passed Lady Delacour's lips than Belinda flew to execute her orders. Marriott recovered her senses when she heard that her ladyship had consented to send for a physician. 
but she declared that she could not conceive how anything less than the power of magic could have brought her lady to such a determination. Belinda had scarcely dispatched a servant for Dr. X, when Lady Delacour repented of the permission she had given, and all that could be said to pacify only irritated her temper. She became delirious. Belinda's presence of mind never forsook her. She remained quietly beside the bed, waiting for the arrival of Dr. X, and she absolutely refused admittance to the servants, who, drawn by their lady's outrageous cries, continually came to her door with offers of assistance. About four o'clock the doctor arrived, and Miss Portman was relieved from some of her anxiety. He assured her that there was no immediate danger, and he promised that the secret which she had entrusted to him should be faithfully kept. He remained with her some hours till Lady Delacour became more quiet and fell asleep, exhausted with delirious exertions. "'I think I may leave you now,' said Dr. X. But as he was going through the dressing-room, Belinda stopped him. "'Now that I have time to think of myself,' said she, "'let me consult you as my friend. "'I am not used to act entirely for myself, "'and I shall be most grateful if you will assist me with your advice. "'I hate all mysteries, "'but I feel myself bound in honour to keep the secret "'with which Lady Delacour has entrusted me. "'Last night I was so circumstanced "'that I could not extricate her ladyship "'without exposing myself to—' to suspicion. Miss Portman then related all that had passed about the mysterious door, which Lord Delacour, in his fit of drunken jealousy, had insisted upon breaking open. Mr. Hervey, continued Belinda, was present when all this happened. He seemed much surprised. I should be sorry that he should remain in an error which might be fatal to my reputation. You know a woman ought never even to be suspected." yet how to remove this suspicion i know not because i cannot enter into any explanation without betraying lady delacour she has i know a peculiar dread of mr hervey's discovering the truth and is it possible cried dr x that any woman should be so meanly selfish as thus to expose the reputation of her friend merely to preserve her own vanity from mortification hush don't speak so loud said belinda you will awaken her, and at present she is certainly more an object of pity than of indignation. If you will have the goodness to come with me, I will take you by a back staircase up to the mysterious boudoir. I am not too proud to give positive proofs of my speaking truth. The key of that room now lies on Lady Delacour's bed. It was that which she grasped in her hand during her delirium. She has now let it fall. It opens both the doors of the boudoir— you shall see, added Miss Portman with a smile, that I am not afraid to let you unlock either of them. As a polite man, said Dr. X, I believe that I should absolutely refuse to take any external evidence of a lady's truth. But demonstration is unanswerable even by enemies, and I will not sacrifice your interests to the foppery of my politeness. So I am ready to follow you." The curiosity of the servants may have been excited by last night's disturbance, and I see no method so certain as that which you propose of preventing busy rumour. That goddess, let Ovid say what he pleases, was born and bred in a kitchen or a servant's hall. But, continued Dr. X, my dear Miss Portman, you will put a stop to a number of charming stories by this prudence of yours. 
a romance called The Mysterious Boudoir, of nine volumes at least, might be written on this subject, if you would only condescend to act like almost all other heroines, that is to say, without common sense. The doctor now followed Belinda, and satisfied himself by ocular demonstration that this cabinet was the retirement of disease and not of pleasure. It was about eight o'clock in the morning when Dr. X got home. He found Clarence Hervey waiting for him. Clarence seemed to be in great agitation, though he endeavored with all the power which he possessed over himself to suppress his emotion. "'You have been to see Lady Delacour,' said he calmly. "'Is she much hurt? It was a terrible accident.' "'She has been much hurt,' said Dr. X, "'and she has been for some hours delirious. "'But ask me no more questions now, for I am asleep and must go to bed, unless you have anything to say that can waken me. You look as if some great misfortune has befallen you. What is the matter? Oh, my dear friend, said Hervey, taking his hand, do not jest with me. I am not able to bear your raillery in my present temper. In one word, I fear that Belinda is unworthy of my esteem. I can tell you no more, except that I am more miserable than I thought any woman could make me. "'You are in a prodigious hurry to be miserable,' said Dr. X. "'Upon my word, I think you would make a mighty pretty hero in a novel. "'You take things very properly for granted, "'and, stretched out upon that sofa, you act the distracted lover vastly well. "'And to complete the matter, you cannot tell me why you are more miserable "'than ever man or hero was before. "'I must tell you, then, that you have still more cause for jealousy than you suspect. "'Ay, start.' Every jealous man starts at the sound of the word jealousy, a certain symptom this of the disease. "'You mistake me,' cried Clarence Hervey. "'No man is less disposed to jealousy than I am. "'But—' "'But your mistress. "'No, not your mistress, "'for you have never yet declared to her your attachment. "'But the lady you admire will not let a drunken man unlock a door, "'and you immediately suppose—' "'She has mentioned the circumstance to you,' exclaimed Hervey, in a joyful tone. "'then she must be innocent.' "'Admirable reasoning. "'I was going to have told you just now, "'if you would have suffered me to speak connectedly, "'that you have more reason for jealousy than you suspect, "'for Miss Portman has actually unlocked for me, "'for me, look at me, the door, the mysterious door, "'and whilst I live and whilst she lives, "'we can neither of us ever tell you the cause of the mystery. "'All I can tell you is that no lover is in the case, "'upon my honour. And now, if you should ever mistake curiosity in your own mind for jealousy, expect no pity from me. I should deserve none, said Clarence Hervey. You have made me the happiest of men. The happiest of men? No, no, keep that superlative exclamation for a future occasion. But now you behave like a reasonable creature. You deserve to hear the praises of your Belinda. I am so much charmed with her that I wish— When can I see her? interrupted Hervey. I'll go to her this instant. Gently, said Dr. X, you forget what time of the day it is. You forget that Miss Portman has been up all night, that Lady Delacour is extremely ill, and that this would be the most unseasonable opportunity you could possibly choose for your visit. To this observation Clarence Hervey assented, but he immediately seized a pen from the doctor's writing-table and began a letter to Belinda. The doctor threw himself upon the sofa, saying— Waken me when you want me, and in a few minutes he was fast asleep. 
Doctor, upon second thoughts, said Clarence, rising suddenly and tearing his letter down the middle, I cannot write to her yet. I forgot the reformation of Lady Delacour. How soon do you think she will be well? Besides, I have another reason for not writing to Belinda at present. You must know, my dear doctor, that I have, or had, another mistress. Another mistress, indeed, cried Dr. X, trying to waken himself. Good heavens, I do believe you've been asleep. I do believe I have. But is it possible that you could fall sound asleep in that time? Very possible, said the doctor. What is there so extraordinary in a man's falling asleep? Men are apt to sleep some time within the four-and-twenty hours, unless they have half a dozen mistresses to keep them awake, as you seem to have, my good friend. A servant now came into the room with a letter that had just arrived expressed from the country for Dr. X. "'This is another affair,' cried he, rousing himself. The letter required the doctor's immediate attendance. He shook hands with Clarence Hervey. "'My dear friend, I am really concerned that I cannot stay to hear the history of your six mistresses, but you see that this is an affair of life and death.' "'Farewell,' said Clarence. "'I have not six. I have only three goddesses, even if you count Lady Delacour for one. But I really wanted your advice in good earnest. "'If your case be desperate, you can write, cannot you? Direct to me at Horton Hall, Cambridge. In the meantime, as far as general rules go—' I can give you my advice gratis, in the formula of an old Scotch song. "'Tis good to be merry and wise, tis good to be honest and true. Tis good to be off with the old love, before you be on with the new.'" End of chapter 10 Recording by Mimi Wong